What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Oh, Brian, what have you done now? As they said in the film, Back to the Future, where are we going we don't need roads. Oh, Brian, what have you done now? Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Doc. Fire. Are you telling me you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, Next Saturday night, we're sending you back to the future. Hello and welcome to Back to the Future, the podcast, the only podcast looking back in time at the greatest film trilogy of all time. Back to the Future. My name is Brad Gilmore, and I will be your friend in time throughout this journey through the space-time continuum. Um, this is an unofficial kickoff, I guess, to Back to the Future, the podcast, Season 5. Um, I think there's been a lot of, of good pre-production going on, a, a lot of good planning. I have several key guests and interviews and ideas lined up for the show, so we're still on target to hit our October goal. I know, I, I think I mentioned in the time capsule that I was debating on if I should do September or October, and I think October, late October, is going to be our, our launch date. It's going to kick off officially with the Back to the Future Rundown Schmodown. And what this is going to be, if you didn't listen to the last um, time capsule, what this is going to be is a, um, a trivia contest between myself and a man named Frank Janish, and we're going to be battling to see who knows Back to the Future better. My, my odds are on me, to be honest with you. But um, we did a rundown schmodown before that was a fatal four-way match that was not Back to the Future related, but I did get the Back to the Future category by the luck of the draw in the match. And I actually got one question wrong. For some reason, you know, when pressure's on, and I know it was like just like a silly game show, but when pressure was on, I couldn't remember the Honeymooners being the sitcom that was played on um, the television during the McFly family dinner in 1955 at the old McFly house, or the old Baines house, I should say. And I couldn't remember the Honeymooners, and I said Bonanza, and that was the only one I got wrong. I got every other one right, and I'm feeling rather confident going into this Back to the Future movie trivia schmodown battle that I will reign victorious and hopefully be crowned in some sort of way. And you never know, I might have a couple of surprises up my sleeve, so watch out, Frank Janish. But I'm doing this kind of unofficial episode today because I had, um, I was I was laying in bed last night, and I was actually planning Back to the Future, the podcast. I'm looking up stuff, I'm reaching out to people, I'm sending emails off, I'm writing. And I started watching that Back in Time documentary again. And um, Jason Aaron, who's been on the show before, 
Great documentary if you're a fan of Back to the Future. Uh, and even if you're not, it, it lets you in on it. But so I was watching this thing, and I can't remember the man's name, but he was, I guess, the creator of, of Rick and Morty. You know, the adult animated series that kind of is loosely based on the relationship between Doc and Marty, and there's a very Doc-like character. Um, anyway, so I was listening to him, and he was talking about Back to the Future and how the protagonist in the movie, which is Marty McFly, how he, um, he, most protagonists, they learn something, right? They change, or they have an, an unfulfilled wish that they need to, you know, accomplish, a goal they need to accomplish by the end of the journey. And um, I think in the subsequent films, most people would point as Marty's character arc would be learning not to say, uh, not learning not to um, get upset when somebody called him chicken and, and lose his mind. And so... I've heard this sentiment a lot in Back to the Future uh, regarding the first one and regarding Marty not changing at all, not having an arc. And as I began to think about it, I don't think that's true. I think Marty McFly does have an arc. I think he has an absolute arc. And this is what this is what his arc is. So if you notice early in the movie, you know, he is a cool guy. He seems like a fly guy. He's got a hot girlfriend, the whole nine yards. But after school, after the, um, you know, before, before the clock tower, save the clock tower lady comes up to him, Marty and Jennifer are talking, and she says, Marty, you got to send this tape into the record company. You know, it's really good. And Marty says, you know, oh, I just don't know. What if they tell me I'm no good? I don't know if I can take that kind of rejection. And he says, oh, man, I'm starting to sound like my old man, which we know George McFly later on in the movie, you know, uses that same exact dialogue. I don't know if I can take that kind of rejection, blah, 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 blah. So I, I, I was like thinking about that piece of dialogue and I'm like, well, hold on now. This is something that Marty has to get over his fear of rejection. And I'm wondering, so I start thinking about the whole film, and, and does Marty ever get over his fear of rejection? Because really, his main goal in the film was to make sure that he was born, right? But early on in the film, again, he got rejected by Huey Lewis and said, I'm afraid you're too darn loud. The pinheads got rejected. So I'm thinking, okay, so the pinheads get rejected. He's got this fear of rejection, especially when it comes to his music. But throughout 1955, he's trying to prove to his father or trying to coach his father and get him to ask Lorraine out, you know, get over that fear of rejection in order for him to be born. Now, here's where I think, here's, here's my kind of two-pronged theory here. And it's a, it's a loose theory at that, but I was just thinking about it last night, which made me do this. So what does Marty do eventually to get his parents to kiss for the very first time? What does he do? He gets on stage in front of a crowd and he plays music, right? He picks up the slack for Marvin Barry and plays Earth Angel. And during Earth Angel... His parents get together. Now, Marty learns in this very moment that he will, in fact, be born, but he also saw his dad stand up for himself. 
not only did he knock Biff out, but more what Marty saw while on stage, he saw the redheaded assailant come up and, you know, cut in on the dance and shove George to the side. And then George come right back over to him and shove him on his ass. Marty saw that while he was on stage. And right after that moment, Marty Boom pops up and he starts playing again. Now, after he was sure that his parents were going to, you know, get married and eventually have him because his hand is no longer disappearing and he sees all of his relatives or his brother and his sister pop back up in the photo, after he knows this occurs, what happens next? He gets over his fear of rejection. See, he had a fear that people would not welcome and not be responsive in a positive way to his music. To his music. Whether that be the judges at the high school talent show, whether that be the record companies that Jennifer was talking to him about, or whether that be just an audience in general. Because the only time we saw Marty play you know, music with, you know, without anybody around him was in the very beginning of the film, right? He had never, and then when he plays music again, he's only in front of four people. He was never in front of a full audience. And you have to think that there was some sort of fear of rejection from a large audience. So after he sees that his dad got over his fear of rejection and was able to stand up for himself and be confident in himself, Marty then gets over his fear of rejection and he gets over um, his you know lacking of self-esteem or self-confidence and he goes up and he plays Johnny B. Good and he gets lost while playing Johnny B. Good and starts going nuts, hitting the you know, metal, you know, metal-ish guitar solo, windmill, duck slide, or you know, knee slide, you know, duck walk, the whole nine yards. I almost butchered all those names, by the way. But he starts doing this. Marty got over his fear of rejection by helping his father get over his fear of rejection. And then when Marty gets back to the future and he sees that everything has changed for his father and his mother and their life because George was able to stand up for himself, get over that fear of rejection, and gain some cojones. So I think after that, we know, after we see that, you know, I think that solidifies Marty's change. Marty's change was really through his father. Marty's character arc was resolved. His unfulfilled desire, whatever you want to say, whatever the man referred to it in the documentary as, it was solved when he helped his father do it. So George was the catalyst for Marty to change. Helping his father helped him. And I think that was Marty McFly's character arc from Back to the Future Part 1. And maybe <laughs> after this sense of uh, and this is this was not part of my theory, but now I'm just speaking speaking out. I'm letting it all out. I'm letting my the, the words in my brain flow out under the microphone. But maybe after that, after Marty gained all of this confidence in himself and got over his fear of rejection, I think maybe 
that confidence turned into arrogance and that belief in himself was built up so large that Marty had to go in parts two and three and he had to challenge anybody when they called him a chicken or they called him yellow because now he was overly confident. I don't know if that's part of my, that's not part of my theory, but who knows? I'm just dropping that line out there. I'm just trying to talk to the pinheads out there and speak about my favorite film and try to try to think because Back to the Future, the script, we've talked about it before on this podcast so many times from season one. It is a perfect script. Everything likes to pay off. The one thing that actually never pays off in Back to the Future Part 1, the one thing that never pays off is Marty McFly sending his demo tape to the record company. We hear nothing more about a record company for the entire movie. I think it's the one dropped line that didn't have that payoff. But maybe it did. Maybe him getting over his fear of rejection when it comes to his music, maybe that was boom his character arc, and that took place at the Enchantment Under the Sea dance in 1955 when he played Johnny B. Good. It's just a theory. I don't know. But I would like to throw it to you, the pinheads. Am I crazy? Or, or is this Marty McFly's arc? Was this his change in Back to the Future Part 1? I could be way off on this. I thought about this at 1, 8, 1 o'clock in the morning last night. So I guess actually technically 1 o'clock in the morning this morning. And I wanted to do an emergency podcast. Tweet me, at Brad Gilmore. Go to, uh, go to Twitter, or you can get me on Instagram, at Brad Gilmore, or on Facebook, at Brad Gilmore. Shoot me a tweet, a DM, a message, or whatever. Tell me what your thought is. Am I wrong, or am I right? Who knows? I guess we'll never know. But I do want to say that everything is looking great for Back to the Future Season 5. It's going to come right around the corner. It'll be here before you know it. So until then... I'm Brad Gilmore, and I will see you in the future. Oh, Brad, what have you done now? Oh, Brad, what have you done now?